Let me ask you a question this morning. What comes to mind when you hear the word king? Now, maybe you're a parent with younger kids, and this comes to mind. Lion King. How many of you have seen this movie more than twice? <laughs> that Do you know? B.B. King and his guitar is Lucille. His guitar actually has a name. Um, or maybe if you're into music, you think about this person who was called the king, Elvis. Or if you're into boxing, you might think about this flamboyant character, Don King. Or if you follow basketball, you might think of this, the Sacramento Kings. Or if you didn't eat breakfast this morning, you may be thinking about this king. <laughs> However, today, we're going to focus on another king. A figure from history who was known as the King of Kings. One of the titles of Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. Now, during the holidays, it seems like the pace of life often increases because there are more and more things to put on our calendars. And the reality is that throughout the year, our lives often revolve around events on our calendars. There's birthdays and anniversaries and holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Labor Day, Thanksgiving Day. For centuries, Christians have had their lives revolve around a different calendar. As Pastor Phil referred to it this morning, it's called the liturgical or church calendar. And this calendar divides the year into seasons like Lent and Easter and Advent and Christmas. Now, the last Sunday of the church calendar is a special time called Christ the King Sunday, and it comes just before the beginning of Advent. So today's message is about Christ the King. And as we focus on this topic, I want you to think about this. Are you ready? There's a life that you have, and there's a life that you want. Isn't that true for each one of us? The life that we have and the life that we want. And sometimes the life that we have seems a little bit monotonous or repetitious, maybe even a little boring. You wake up in that same old bed, and you go to that same old job and work for that same old boss, and you come home to the same old house and the same old spouse and watch the same old TV, and then you go back to bed and get up and do it all over again. Now, in contrast to the life that you have is the life that you really want. And this is a life where there's a sense of excitement and enthusiasm. It's not a perfect life. There are challenges and problems and disappointments, but you can't wait for the day to start because you see your life as an adventure filled with possibilities and purpose. Now listen carefully, I believe that the way to close the gap between the life that you have and the life that you want is this, embracing Jesus Christ as your king. And that's the message in this book we call the Bible. It's the message of Jesus Christ himself that an entirely different kind of life is possible when you allow Jesus Christ to rule in your heart by embracing him as your, say it with me, as your king. So as we consider how embracing Jesus as our king can change our lives, there are two important questions to answer this morning. And the first is this. This is on your outline. What kind of king is Jesus? And what difference does it make for us? Now we're going to answer this question by looking at a story. It's in Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. It's on page 783 if you're using one of the Bibles that we've provided for you. And this is part of the Christmas story. And here's how the story begins in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The Christmas story begins with two kings, and they are in conflict. 
You have King Herod and King Jesus, and they're not only in conflict, they are on a collision course. On the one hand, you have King Herod. He's addicted to power, and he has no intention of sharing that power with anyone. And then you have King Jesus, who will use his power to save and to serve. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to this world to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. When King Herod hears about the birth of this rival king, he is very disturbed, especially by this title, King of the Jews. And that's because that was Herod's title, the one given to him by the Roman Empire. And Herod will do anything, absolutely anything, to keep his title and his power. And the people of Jerusalem know this, and that's why they're disturbed too. You see, Herod has quite an impressive track record when it comes to eliminating his rivals. In fact, he ordered the execution of his wife, Miriam, along with three of his sons. Herod was a brutal man, and when it came to character, he was morally bankrupt. He was an unrighteous king with no compassion for anyone. And on the other hand, you have King Jesus, who was born during a time of great trouble in Israel. People were looking for a good king. They were looking for a righteous king. And that's the first thing that I want you to see about Jesus, that he is a righteous king. Right now, our country is going through a, a very contentious and divisive time politically. There are all kinds of scandals and special investigations into the conduct of our political leaders. But I think there's one thing that Americans can agree on. We want leaders we can trust. We want leaders who will tell us the truth. We want people in positions of authority who have integrity because we can support people like that. In fact, we can follow people like that. And one of the reasons that Jesus Christ deserves to be followed is that he is a perfectly righteous king. Now, when Herod hears about this child who is a potential rival to his throne, he calls the religious experts together because he wants to find out where this child is supposed to be born. And so these experts in the scriptures point him to a, a section of the Old Testament. It's in the book of Micah where we read this. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And this shepherd, unlike Herod, will care about God's people. This shepherd will be full of compassion and mercy. He will be a just king. And in the Bible, we read about this king who will someday not only rule over Israel, but rule over us. This is in Psalm 89. It says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Now, remember that gap between the life that you have and the life that you want? Well, Jesus wants to close that gap. He wants to change your life. And the way that Jesus changes our lives is by changing our hearts. You see, Jesus is not only a righteous king. He's a righteous king who wants to make us righteous too. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be righteous? Well, simply this, to have a right relationship with God. A relationship where God is at the center of your life. And because God's at the center of your life, you live with power and you live with peace and you live with purpose. And of course, the question is, well, how can you have that kind of righteousness? And the answer is found in the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And church, every single week that we get together, you hear me talk about the bad news and the what? The good news. And the bad news is that we are sinners and we need a Savior. That's why Jesus comes into the world, because our sin has separated us from God. And because God is just, he has to punish our sin. And we are in a hopeless and helpless situation. 
And unless God intervenes, we are lost. And that's why Christmas is such an incredible time. Because it is the story of the king of glory, the king of heaven, setting aside his crown, setting aside his royal scepter, and becoming one of us. And once Jesus entered this world, he didn't stop descending. He is born as a baby, a helpless baby in Bethlehem. And he grows up, and he lives his perfect life, and then he does this out of his great love. He allows himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified. Why? Because of his great love for us, so that God and us can be reconciled. And on the cross, an amazing thing takes place. God is willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. But realize this, when you trust Jesus, a double transaction takes place. It's not just that your sins are put on Jesus, his righteousness, his perfect obedience is credited to you. And when you trust Jesus Christ, you are now declared righteous. When God looks at you as a believer, it's as if you have never sinned. And that's an incredible thing. So this is the truth that I want you to see. As a follower of Christ the King, you are declared righteous. Look at this verse. It says, but now, righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes how? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. During the holidays, many families experience conflict. And with this conflict often comes a lack of forgiveness where people are uncertain whether reconciliation will ever take place. One of the things that we can be thankful for is that because of Jesus and what he's done, God is always willing to forgive us. God is always willing to reconcile our relationship with him. And when it comes to conflict in our families... This is what God wants us to do, to extend grace, to extend forgiveness, to extend love regardless of how other people respond. Because that's what you do when Jesus is your king. So back to the original question, what kind of king is Jesus? He is what kind of king? He's a righteous king and he's also a suffering king. As the Christmas story continues in Matthew 2, the wise men find Jesus and Mary and Joseph and then they're warned in a dream, not to go back to Herod so they go home a different way. And this is what happens next. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Now this trip that the Holy Family takes to Egypt has often been called a flight to Egypt, but they didn't go to Bethlehem International Airport. They got on a donkey and walked, and this was a long and difficult and dangerous journey. For Mary and Joseph, this child Jesus had turned their world upside down. And in this passage, we see a foreshadowing of the suffering that Jesus and those who follow him will face. Because church, realize this, when you're connected to Jesus, just as Jesus suffered in this world, you're going to suffer too. And think about Joseph just for a moment. Think about what he's going through. I mean, he's already lost his reputation because he married a woman who was pregnant while they were engaged. And now this angel says, hey, get up and take Mary and Joseph and run to Egypt. Well, what does that mean for Joseph? Well, he's going to lose his job. In fact, he's going to lose his business. He's going to lose his home. He's going to lose a lot. 
So why does the Bible tell us this story? I believe for this reason, because when you lose your job or you lose your home or trouble pours into your life, don't be surprised because Jesus is not the only one who suffers. Those who are close to him, those who are committed to him will suffer too. And what about Mary? I mean, what is going through her mind? I mean, she wakes up in the middle of the night. She's got a two-year-old little boy and her husband and they're, they're running away from this murderous king. And I wonder if Mary was recalling that time in the temple. Jesus was only eight days old, and they took him there to be circumcised. And this old man named Simeon asked if he can hold baby Jesus. And he holds baby Jesus in his arms, and he thanks God for letting him live long enough to see the Messiah, the deliverer of God's people. And then Simeon looks Mary in the eye and says, Mary, this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. And Mary, a sword will pierce your heart too. Moms, realize this, Mary was no stranger to suffering. And she only had hoped that maybe she could escape seeing her son suffer, but that wasn't God's plan. In fact, if you think about it, the suffering of Jesus surprised so many people because kings are not supposed to suffer. Kings are supposed to be in charge and powerful and strong. And yet when Jesus is arrested and beaten and condemned to die, he did not look anything like a king. In fact, the Bible tells us that these Roman soldiers, they, they mocked Jesus. They put a robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They spit in his face and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And then if you read that passage in the New Testament, the governor Pontius Pilate takes Jesus and brings him before the Jewish people, and he says, Here is your king. And they shout, Take him away. Take him away and crucify him. And Pilate says, Shall I crucify your king? And the people of Israel say, we have no king but Caesar. Can you imagine how those words pierced the heart of Jesus Christ? He was completely rejected and betrayed by his own people. And listen this morning. If you've ever been betrayed by people close to you, Jesus gets that. He really does. He understands. And it's in our suffering that God allows us to understand some of the things that Jesus went through because he gets it, he understands our suffering as well. And in that suffering, we are drawn closer to Christ. And here's what I want you to see. As a follower of Christ the King, you share his suffering. Look at this verse written by a disciple of Jesus named Paul. He said this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and, and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. And church, this is so important for us to understand, sometimes the suffering that God allows to come into our lives is for our benefit. Our suffering makes us more dependent on God, it deepens our prayer life, it builds our character. But listen, this is really important. One way that God uses our suffering is for the benefit of others. Think about that. The suffering, the pain that comes into our life doesn't just benefit us, it benefits other people. Think about Jesus. His suffering was for the benefit of other people. And that can be true of us too. Because when, when trouble pours into your life and mine, there are people who are watching. They're watching how we respond. But this is really important. God does not want us to pretend. God doesn't want us to deny how hard life can be and how much it hurts. We should be absolutely realistic. But not just realistic. Optimistic. 
because there is a God who is in charge. There is a God who can use our suffering in ways that we can't even understand. And listen, when you go through pain and suffering and other people see that you're really trusting God, that you're really depending on Him, that can bring them one step closer to trusting Jesus too. And that's good to know. But you know what? There's even more. Because Jesus is not just a righteous king or a suffering king. He is also a victorious king. And we see that in this passage in Matthew chapter 2. It says this, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are what? Are what? They're all dead. All these people that tried to kill Jesus are dead. Who's still alive? You can say it. Jesus is still alive. And this is an incredible thing. Even as a little child, we see the victory of Jesus Christ because he is an unstoppable, invincible king who's going to accomplish God's purpose for his life. Think about this. Jesus grows up. He leaves his home, leaves his family, starts traveling around the countryside with this incredible message, repent and believe. The kingdom of heaven is near. The religious, religious leaders are upset by his message. They're jealous. They hate Jesus. And so they hatch a plot to kill him. And one Friday afternoon, outside the city, at the town garbage heap, soldiers nailed Jesus Christ to a cross. And it looks like they have finished the job that Herod wasn't able to do. But then came the third day, and the king of glory rises from the dead to prove that he is a victorious king. Look at this verse. It says, For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. Listen, on this Christ the King Sunday, I am so thankful that Jesus is a victorious king. And here's why. Because as followers of Christ the King, we share in his victory. In his book, Soul Keeping, Pastor John Ortberg, Ortberg um, who I'd like to credit with some other insights from this passage in Matthew, John Ortberg notes that Jesus' disciples were always pestering him with questions. Hey, Jesus, um, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Hey, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Hey, Jesus, um, what did that parable mean? That didn't make any sense at all. It's sort of like when kids ask questions of their parents. Hey, Mommy, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Daddy, what makes a car go? Underneath the questions the disciples asked and underneath the questions that children ask is the one great question of the human heart. Why? It's a question we all have. Jesus, why do wars keep breaking out? Jesus, why does this little boy have a brain tumor? Jesus, why is my marriage falling apart? Jesus, why did I get cancer? Before Jesus went to the cross, he made an amazing promise to his disciples, and this is in John chapter 16. He's talking to his disciples about going away, and he says this, in a little while you will see me no more then after a while you will see me. And the disciples are confused and they begin to ask Jesus all these questions and Jesus says this, this is remarkable. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into this world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy in that day, listen to this, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. 
So what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus said, for a little while I'll be gone. For the disciples, it was three days. How long has it been for us? Yeah, a couple of thousand years, but I guess in the scope of eternity, that is a little while. And during this time, the world's deeply broken, and so are we. There's illness and injustice and hunger and deceit and corruption, but one day Jesus is coming back. One day Jesus will make all things new. And in that day, we will no longer need to ask him questions. You know why? Because in that day, his victory will be complete. And in that day, we will share his victory. And one day, according to the scripture, every single person who has ever lived on this planet will bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But until that day comes, how are we supposed to live in this world? That brings us to this last question on your outline. What does it mean to embrace Jesus as our king? Well, first of all, embracing Jesus as our king involves a change in our allegiance, a change in our allegiance. How many of you know the uh, Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag? The Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible. One nation, yeah, I left out that phrase just to see if you were with me. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Now, another word for allegiance is loyalty or commitment. And here's a very important truth. Your life is shaped by the commitments that you make and keep. Now, let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have a commitment to go to work on Monday after the long weekend off? How many of you who are married have a commitment to be faithful to your spouse? How many of you parents have a commitment to love your kids no matter what? Listen, one of the most important, and I would, I would argue the most foundational commitment that anybody can ever make is to follow Jesus Christ and embrace him as your king. Because church, listen, if Jesus is the, the king that he claims to be, then he is worthy of our loyalty, our respect, our devotion, our love, our worship, our obedience. If Jesus is really the king, then he should be king over every area of our lives. And that means when Jesus tells us to do something, we should what? Yeah, we should actually do it. And here's the deal. A lot of the things that Jesus tells us to do are really hard. We get that, don't we? And so does Jesus. Because Jesus says, hey, love your enemies. Is that easy? No, forgive those who have hurt you. That's really hard. But here's the deal. Jesus doesn't just command us as a king to obey him. He says, listen, I'm going to give you the desire and the ability to obey me. And that's what happens when you have a close connection with Christ. You don't just try harder and harder and harder to obey the king. You come to love the king and know the king and want to please the king. And that changes everything. So embracing Jesus as your king involves a change in your allegiance. It also involves this, a change in our values. A change in our values. I was reading online how much money was spent on Thanksgiving and Black Friday. It was staggering. $1.9 billion on Thanksgiving Day. And I thought people were just eating turkey and watching football, hanging out with their families. They were shopping online. And then the next day, Black Friday, this is just online shopping, $3.3 billion. You know, if I were to ask you, what are our American values? Well, yeah. I mean, one of them is to get more and better stuff. But what if you're a citizen of God's kingdom? I mean, what are the values of the king? Well, things like truth and grace and honesty and humility and faithfulness and kindness and compassion. And listen, when you follow the king, his values should be your values. Well, here's one more way that embracing Jesus as your king involves a change 
It involves a change in our priorities, a change in our priorities. Now, how can you tell what's most important to somebody? How can you tell what their priorities are? I think there are three ways, what they do with their time, what they do with their abilities or talents, and what they do with the money that God's entrusted to them. And here's what's intriguing. When Jesus talked about his kingdom, he addressed all three of those topics, what you do with your time and your talents and your treasures. And Jesus said this. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you worry about so much, food and clothes and stuff, will be given to you as well. Now, when it comes to priorities, here's how we often think. Stay with me here. This is something I really want you to get. When we think about priorities, we often think about, about this um, well, we know how they're supposed to be. You know, God's supposed to be first, and then your family, then your job, and on, and on the list goes. And it's almost like we have these boxes that represent our priorities. So you wake up in the morning, and you think, oh, yeah, God's supposed to be first. So you read a few verses, or you pray, and then you check off the God box. Oh, man, now I can get on with the rest of my day and take care of these other boxes. But listen, that's not what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. Instead of organizing your life into these boxes, where God's just one part of your life, God wants to be at the center of your life, where everything is connected to him. It's like a wheel. Think about a wheel. God's at the center. He's the hub. And that means that your, your family is connected to God, that your finances are connected to God, your job's connected to God, your social life, your sex life, your hobbies, everything is connected to God because God is where? God is at the center of your life. And there's a, a beautiful picture of this in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament when God tells the people of Israel, listen, I want you to move forward in faith and I want you to, to enter the promised land. And this is what God does. He has the 12 tribes arranged in a certain way. There are three tribes on the north, three on the south, three on the east, three on the west. And in the middle of all these tribes is the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God himself. And this is a picture of how God wants his people to enter the promised land and live in the land. He wants them to move forward in faith with God at the center. Now listen carefully. That is a picture of what it means to embrace Jesus Christ as your king. You move forward in faith with God at the center of your life. And so church this morning, on the last Sunday of the year, I want to encourage you to do this. Regardless of what's happening in your life, move forward in faith with God at the center of your life because that's what you do when Jesus Christ is your king. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? 
He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen.